0: Hey everybody, this is Keach Rainwater with the Designated Drummer Podcast. hope everybody's having a good day or evening or night or morning or whatever it is. Um, this week I thought I would answer some questions. I've gotten a lot of questions lately from fans and from friends and from people that kinda wanna know, you know, I've been playing drums for a living for professionally for over forty years. And so yeah, you know, I guess over those years you kinda things happen and you learn things and you you try things and Sometimes things go good. Sometimes things don't go good. Um, And you learn a lot. And I have been so lucky to have been playing in the bands that I've played in over the years, and especially Canyon and Lone Star, that uh, I started, uh, you know, playing big shows and big festivals and getting a lot of uh, people watching the show and just a lot of experience out there playing live. And I've been doing it for so long. It's been really fun. It's been really great. It is the to me, honestly, it's the best job a person could ever have. That's just me personally, because think about it. You get to get out there every night and play drums and get paid to play drums. I mean, you could talk to people like Rich Redman and uh, other drummers you know, that I've talked to, Ben Caesar. Um, they would probably say the same exact thing, people I've had on my podcast and stuff, that there is no better job in the world than to get out there on stage, count the song off, play drums, and get out all your work out all your aggressions and things like that. It's so fun. It's a great job and I love it. And I got some questions here that people have sent me um, that I'm gonna attempt to answer as best I can. Um, okay, so uh, question number one uh, Improvements to drums. Have there been, like, over time? I think what you mean is, have there been improvements? to the quality of drums or to the style of drums or from, like, let's say, like the 60s, the 50s, 60s, 70s, and on up to now. And I would say definitely, yes, there there has been. And I think that the most improvement that I have seen in my experience on drum kits has been hardware. Um, I'm talking about cymbal stands, hi-hat stands, bass drum pedals, uh, things like that, things that hold up the metal parts, the big shiny silver metal parts that hold up the cymbals and things like that. Um, those things, I mean, if you look at old videos like on YouTube back in the 60s, 50s and 60s, uh, especially the 60s when you started uh, seeing that more like drums and bands more on television, like the Midnight Special and things like that. Um, uh, soul Train, stuff like that, that you would see bands, popular bands playing. And the cymbal stands that they had back then were just, I, I, I want to, if I say atrocious, uh, I I don't mean that disrespectfully because, you know, that was, the, the you know, I guess the that was just the way they made them back then. They didn't think that they were going to need to be any beefier, but if you look at those things, they look like little pin, little sticks holding up these heavy cymbals and you can see them moving around and swaying and stuff like that. And over the years, uh, the drum hardware has gotten thicker and heavier and more stout and substantial. And now, you know, it's like, it's amazing to have racks and, uh, it's just amazing. Some artists, uh, some drum drummers with like famous bands, uh, that have like, you know, they're not limited on funds or whatever the, the drum companies are giving them whatever they want for free, um. They are having this hardware that swings around in a circle and comes up, and you know, it's just like a custom hardware and things, and it's very very stout. Uh, the the legs of the hardware, the everything, um, the, the shells. I can't really say that the drum shells, the wooden drum shells, have gotten any better. And I and I'll explain that because if you ask any drummer or collector or whatever about old vintage drums, that they're definitely there's something about a vintage drum especially from like the early 80s mid 70s to to from the mid 70s to the mid 80s I would say those something about the wood in those shells and the way they made them it was the glue maybe it was the uh, the thickness of them how many plies I don't know what it was I can't technically tell you but those are some of the best sounding shells drum shells out there so I guess you know in a way the most ideal kit to have would be a vintage a a a kit from a long time a vintage drum set shells wise the drum shells would be vintage drum shells from like maybe the late 70s or something like that um with brand new drum heads on there and and new sort of cymbals new hardware thicker beefier hardware and you see that a lot out there you know vintage drums on sort of newer hardware um and uh yeah so that so yes and no um improvements to drums yes they have improved hardware has improved but in the shells some of the drum companies the shells that they make now like mapex and dw and yamaha they're they're awesome sounding shells but if you compare those to older shells you know the vintage those vintage drums there's just something about those vintage drums it's like a a Stradivarius uh, violin from the 1750s or something like that you know I think any violin player would probably admit that there's something to that. There's something to that, uh, the way they were made, the way uh, time has kind of solidified the wood, or I don't know what it is, but um, vintage is definitely in, and the sound is is uh, definitely the proof. Uh, okay, so the next question I had was, uh, did COVID change anything as far as, what changes did COVID make to uh, drumming, to uh, anything like, and, and and I'll 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 give a couple of answers. Covid when Covid happened, we had to stop touring. Everybody, nobody could could tour bec- because you couldn't get crowds together and that kind of thing. So there were people that were doing a lot of concerts from home, sort of via Zoom if they could. Uh, where and the way they would do that was uh, say like the you would lay down some sort of track on pro tools, like on digital and send it to everybody and everybody sort of play their little part. And then you would edit that together. So it's not really live, but they would do these sort of little zoom concert kind of things, which some of them were really great. I have some of my favorite, uh, uh, tunes to listen to like on YouTube and stuff are, are, when COVID happened and the bands were forced to stay home and, and sit there and play their part in their little home studio or something. And then they just put it all together. Really cool. Um, One of the things that happened, uh, I think, one of the things in the question was, like, for instance, drumsticks. Like, because um, there were a lot of a lot of the oak drumsticks that come from Japan were held up in the harbor. You know, they couldn't get things like computer chips and and the the wooden sticks, the the oak, the Japanese oak that um, that ProMark was using and I suppose still is, for their oak sticks. It says Japanese Japan oak, I think it says on there, um, were held up, and so you couldn't get oak for a long time. And that actually affected me a little bit. It made me, I had to switch to hickory sticks, because when I talked to um, Evans, uh, which is Diodario, they used to make strings and stuff like that, guitar strings. Now they own Evans. And I believe also they own Remo too. Like the they, they own the drumhead companies. They also own Promark. They sort of just started buying up all these other companies. Um, so I had called them to see if I could get some oak, some of the ones that I've been using, the five B nylon oak sticks. Um, and they had said that they couldn't get them in at that time. That they were back ordered from Japan and they couldn't get them into the states. So they said, but we have hickory because hickory's American. It's American wood. So. I ordered a couple of boxes of drumstick hickory drumsticks 5b nylon hickory and I actually have fallen in love with those I have switched I don't do the oak anymore they're a little bit lighter but they're very they're very durable and I just love the sound of the the side stick when I hit the side stick with those uh, hickory uh, sticks I still do the nylon tip and all that stuff they're just not quite as heavy as the those oak sticks were. So that did affect me a little bit. I changed that. And other ways that COVID affected us was, um, I don't know, I just think that we had to kind of sit and we, we could practice more. And that's one thing I did. I improved a lot uh, during COVID because I was home and I was practicing more than I had ever practiced before. I wasn't able to gig, but I, I knew I had to keep my chops up. So I practiced things that I had been wanting to practice for a long time that you can't you know, playing gigs and stuff like that—that's okay. I mean, and and that's you know, you're keeping your chops up and that kind of thing. But it's not really the same as practice. Practicing is where you break down things that you're trying to learn and things that you're trying to improve on, and you're you're trying to better your drumming uh, through practice. And so, I did that a lot. I practiced a lot and um, was able to uh, do a lot of recording and stuff. I had been uh, writing with some people over the internet, you know, like where I would lay down the drums and I would send it to them and they would put bass on it and then guitar and we would build tracks that way and we came up with some really good music that way. Um, So, yeah, I think that COVID definitely changed a few things um, about all that stuff, Uh, you know, sticks and that kind of thing. But uh, all in all, you know, once COVID was up and we started touring again, it it was just great. It was just a great feeling to get out there because during covid i have to honestly say that i i don't know about anybody else in the band or anybody else in the uh, industry but i i was scared i was scared that that if this covid thing was going to continue then we w- what was live music that that's our whole life is based around live music you know what we call putting butts in seats playing live music i mean we could continue to make records and things like that and record and all that but that's i don't think that's going to pay the bills as much as going out and doing live concerts and that kind of thing, touring and that kind of thing. So majority of our living uh the majority of our living is touring. It was and still is touring. So uh, during COVID, I was every day I was just like it was a big question mark. Like, are we gonna be okay? Are we gonna really seriously be able to go back on a tour again? Is this are you gonna are they gonna resolve this COVID uh deal? And so in um I think 2021, we finally started to do some more shows. I think it was spring of 2021. Uh, of 21, we started doing a few shows and then, uh, but they were still restricted a little bit. They were like, you know, they to kind of separate the people a little bit and people wear masks and uh, the, we had to not do meet and greets for a while. And it was, it was very controlled. And then that just sort of uh, rolled along and rolled along. And now we're doing, we're kind of back to normal now. We're doing meet and greets and uh, people are coming to shows and, I think that it has actually helped our industry a lot uh, because people, if you take something away from people that they enjoy for long enough and then you give it back to them, they're going to covet that. They're going to enjoy it and they're going to, they're going to savor it a lot more. So I think that people come to shows now, uh, with a, with a new respect for, oh my God, this is great. We can actually go see a live show and not have to watch it on YouTube or whatever, you know? So anyway, not that there's anything wrong with watching shows on YouTube. That's great too. Um... So the next question I had was, um, how many drum kits have I owned? <laughs> that's a funny question. Um, no, that's actually a really not a funny question, but um, funny you should mention that because I have way too many drum kits right now. That uh, because my problem is I don't get rid of drum kits as easy as I probably should have. I tend to keep them because I don't know why. I don't know, maybe I'm thinking someday uh, that. I will use them again or that, you know, hey, what if I want to, you know, do a show, a show here and set it up and then um, set it up at a club somewhere and, you know, play that or something, you know, I don't know. I just tend to keep them. Uh, And so I thought about this before I um, started the podcast and uh, I had counted 12 in my mind that I I could remember. There's probably a couple more that I sort of forgot about, but um, 12 kits that I've had since... High school, since I was in high school, Um, starting out with a little maxi tone set that I bought for $40 uh, from a friend of mine's brother who had some drums for sale. It really wasn't a full kit. It was just like, you know, a a, a little collection of some drums that were incomplete. And that uh, I had to either build or collect or fix or fashion somehow the rest of that drum kit, you know, and try and come up with the rest of it. And I think it has helped me become what the what the band guys call the MacGyver of the band. You know, I can fix anything and build things and that kind of thing. So that definitely helped me out in the beginning um, with that skill, having to fashion the rest of my drum kit together. And I had a, a drum tech one time years ago when I was in Canyon. He, Someone was asking him how he, uh, to describe me, like, well, what's Keech like, you know? And he said, and he thought about it for a minute, and he said, "Let me tell you what Keats is like. He, you can be walking along the street with him, going to get something to eat, and he'll look down on the ground and find a little scrap piece of metal and pick it up, put it in his pocket, and about a week later, it will. You'll see that piece of metal on his drum kit somewhere." <laughs> so, I, and I thought that's that has happened, and he's right. That's that's like the perfect way to describe me as a, in a hole. Um, as a whole is like, uh, I'm a maker, I'm a fixer, and I have a whole family lineage of building and fixing and inventing things. And that, that kind of starting with my grandfather and my father and then me, we've always had tools and we've always, instead of buying something, we'd usually rather make it kind of thing, you know, that sort of mentality. So, um, yeah, so that, uh, was my first kit. And then in high school, uh, bought another kit. And that kit, that Rogers kit that I bought in 1980, 81, sorry, 81, in 1981, uh, the year I graduated, I bought this kit, this Rogers kit, blue Rogers kit. And if anybody out there has ever seen the group Canyon, the band Canyon, you have definitely seen that blue Rogers kit because that was the only kit I ever played with Canyon, not only with Canyon, but from 1981 all the way up to 1992 1992 i would play nothing but those rogers drums <laughs> i just loved those drums and they were great um and uh that was a kit that i had for yeah, 12 years i had those those rogers drums um so uh and then i got endorsed by uh mapex back in the late nineties and 98, 97, 98, I think it was 97. Um, I got um, endorsed. I endorsed Mapex drums. And so they ended up giving me over the years, probably about four kits, maybe five, four or five kits if I, that I can remember. Um, usually one uh, every year and a half or so, something like that. One, one every couple of years. And um, I was with them for a long time. And uh, then I, the kit I play now, I, Um, is kind of like, it's funny that you should mention how many kits have you owned because several of those kits are all rolled into the kit that I play now live on stage, which is I call Yamapex. Some of them are Yamaha drums and some are Mapex drums with DW hardware. It's kind of a Frankenstein kit, but I had them custom painted so they all look the same. They all look like one kit. If you look up there, you'll think that it's just one kit, um, one brand, but it's actually several brands that I have Frankenstein together Into my Yamapex kit, and I love it. And um, by the way, the paint job, the the custom paint job that I had is kind of a steampunk style. It's like gears and pipes and steam uh, gauges and things like that. It's really cool. I'm really, I was for a long time, I was really into the steampunk thing, and I just love that aesthetic. And so I thought that would be really neat to have a steampunk paint job on a drum kit. And so I had a guy airbrush that style into my kit. So, so of all the kits I've owned, probably about three or four of them are on my kit now. And, uh, so, um, the next question, biggest mistake drummers make, what's the biggest mistake drummers make? And I think, I assume that you are talking about beginner drummers. I mean, uh, beginner. Okay. I'm going to back up. Beginner drummers, uh, and drummers that have been doing it for a little while, because, and I'll, I'll explain why in a minute, drummers, one, uh, and I would say the number one mistake drummers make is giving up. You just, I've seen drummers get out there and they're good drummers and they get out there and they're in a band and they tour or whatever and it just becomes, it just wasn't what they thought it was and they give up too soon, I, in my opinion. I think they give up too soon that if they just, you know, if they loved it enough and they really were were um, you know, had the mindset to kinda stick with it long enough to suffer I don't mean suffer like suffer like pain suffer, but to suffer through possibly not making a lot of money or um having to eat ramen noodles for a while and uh, going from gig to gig, you know, bands get together and then they break up, and then you're in another band. But if you talk to any drummer who's been out there for, let's say, as long as I have, forty years plus, um, I think they will all tell you that the the one thing that you that you can't do is give up if you want to stay in the business that long. And if you do stay in the business that long, you you will you will, and that is just about guaranteed, you will be in a a famous touring band. I mean, you will succeed because it's just inevitable. It's like gravity. If you keep playing that long, you're going to get good. You're going to get, and possibly even better than the band that you're in, which could happen that, you know, somebody sees you play, uh, that's touring and they're looking for a good drummer and they're going to say, Hey, we've got to get that drummer, that drummer that I saw the other night. Let's, Let's offer him the gig, you know, or, you know, you're going to make more friends and you're going to meet more musicians and and it's just like it's going to inevitably happen. You're going to get in a good touring band and then finally, just like I say, just like Gravity, you're going to land, you're going to fall into a sweet touring gig in a band, a recording band or to be a member of that band or you'll be the drummer for somebody that 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 will keep you playing for a long 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 time in front of thousands and thousands and millions of people and on television and all that it's just inevitable if you stick with it long enough and you, and you keep your eyes on the prize it will happen um, okay the second mistake that I think that young that young sort of inexperienced drummers make and then this is this is I'm giving you pearls here guys and guys and gals um, is not serving the song okay And what I mean by that is playing for yourself. When you get out there and you play for yourself, you're playing, oh, this liquid sound cool here. Um, Oh, what if I can show them, I could show the guys that I could do this fill. It's really cool. I could play really fast here. Or um, I'm going to play super loud here and I'm going to show everybody that I'm a, a, you know, I'm a badass drummer and all that. So um, instead of thinking like that, you're thinking like, okay, what does this song really need? What does this song need? Is this a soft song? Does this song need to just to to groove and have like a deep pocket and uh if you ever wonder anything about pocket deep pocket groove things like that go back into my earlier podcast and look for groove uh groove pocket and feel feel groove pocket something like that i can't remember exactly what it was called but it's um groove and pocket and it it breaks all that down to what technically a groove is and what a a pocket is and what a deep pocket is and I'll just explain that a deep pocket is where you hold that groove that um, that pocket and you hold it for a long long time without breaking without doing a fill without breaking time and it's just you just hold that groove solid for a long time so a singer can sing or a player can play or a bass can do its thing or whatever um, so serve the song you have to serve the song um, and if you do that you, can be a great drummer in a great band that people will love. And there's going to be times for you to show off and have fun and play these licks and and go crazy. and, and And I think some of the best drummers in the world, Steve Gadd is a perfect example because he will lay down that groove, and he'll play really soft, and it will just hold that groove, and everybody has, you have to, the, the musicians have to follow that, I mean, they are so happy to feel Steve Gadd playing that pocket back there, just holding that that groove down, it's a feel, it's like you, it's in your blood, and um, and then when it comes time for him to play, he lets loose, man, I mean, you see his energy, you see him almost stand up out of his stool sometimes, uh, but he gets, um you know it's just amazing how great some great drummers can just hold serve the song hold the groove keep it simple and then keep good time and then when it comes time for them to shine then oh my god they're freaking awesome you know um but only when it's their time you know um so yeah serve the song and that's one of the mistakes that some young drummers make um is they don't serve they don't serve the song. They give up too early and then they quit and they go they say, Oh God, I have to make more money. So I'm gonna I got this job offer to work at this insurance company or something like that. So I'm just gonna give up the whole drum thing and 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 go do that. So that's the number one mistake drummers make, I think. And the number two is not stay not serving the song. Um, okay, next question. Um Oh, uh, what if you don't have space to practice? Now, this is just talking about practice, um, which I had another podcast on practice and talked about pads and uh, things like that and what you can do. Um, what if you have a small room, a small apartment? Um, what do you need to play? Uh, what what can you play? What can you practice? That kind of thing. And um, I will say that in my personal opinion, you can practice for a while on a practice pad, you know, in your small apartment room, whatever, you can also get a uh, pad kit, which is practice pads, rubber practice pads set up on, in sort of a kit form. So you have like a little bass drum practice pad and you have a snare practice pad and you have toms and a little floor tom and maybe even cymbal practice pads. And they don't make much noise. They just kind of go tick, 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 tick. And uh, you can do that. And that's fine. to that t- if you're just going to work out some beats and things like that. And th- that's good to do that. And uh, I have seen uh, 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 what Travis Barker, is his name, um, with Blink-182. If you ever get a chance to look at his warm-up before the show, he has a little pa- a pad kit backstage, and he'll sit there and just, his warm-up is insane. I mean, the stuff he does with his feet and his hands and left and right and his left foot, and um, it's incredible. He is an incredible drummer. He is like one of the best drummers I've ever seen. If not the best drummer, I mean he because he puts so much into it, so much into his practice and his uh, ethics, his worth work ethic. I've heard tell that he practices sometimes eight hours a day, eight hours a day of practicing drums. That's insane, and I cannot even imagine doing that every day, even even every day for a week or every day for for five days. That's insane. That's just you. You can't help but be a monster drummer if you practice that much. Your muscle memory, your stamina, everything would just be top notch if you if you could actually practice that much. I mean that is that is crazy. Um, but what I will say is that, and I tell my students this, um, practicing pads is is okay, and and it's you can do it if you're in a pinch. But there is nothing like. There's nothing else that can take the place of playing a real drum kit. Even putting little rubber pads over your drums, what you can do, um, that's not that's not the same. I'm talking about playing the drums hard with cymbals and real drum heads and playing them and hitting them hard. So, in my opinion, you really need to, if you're serious about it, you really need to have a place, a, pra- a rent a rent a practice room. And if you look in your local city, there are people that. Uh, have a garage or a, a, a little shed or something like that that will rent. And some of them are even set up for as a practice room for bands and things like that. And um, I would just make it part of your expenditures like storage or uh, a car payment or whatever it is. Um, think of it if you do live in a small apartment you don't have a place to practice drums you you need that um, work out a deal with a, a a school or something and say you know if if i teach some of your students some of your beginner students how to play can i use the practice room three days a week or something like that you know you just it, it would behoove you to work out some kind of deal where you can actually practice up to two maybe two hours to three hours not every day not every day but because you can alternate days you can be in your apartment and practice your pads and your your practice pad uh, practice rudiments and things like that And then, but you're going to need to practice real drums and work out some way to do it so I would say that yes you can practice in a small room or apartment but if you're going to be a serious drummer borrow a garage or a storage unit when I was in high school my mom and I we lived in an apartment and she rented a warehouse like a storage thing for her furniture that some extra furniture that she had um and since we lived in this apartment we just had more furniture than we needed so she rented a little 10 by 20 10 feet by 20 foot uh, little uh, warehouse and this was in the 81 82 something like that and um, this particular warehouse would let bands rehearse and practice As a matter of fact it was the one of the only places in garland Texas that would let bands go in there and set their stuff up and practice. And a lot of times bands would split the, the. they would go and they would rent one and they would split it between five or six or how many ever guys. And so it would be, you know, only 20 bucks a month or something if you split it between all the, the guys. It wasn't much. You could leave everything set up in there. You could lock it up and that kind of thing. Now in the wintertime, there was no heat. So, um, but my mom said, whatever room that you can make in there, you can have. So, she said, you know, whatever's left over, you, you, you rearrange all of the storage stuff, the boxes and furniture and beds and stuff like that. If you rearrange it, you can have whatever's left. So boy, I tell you, I went to work, I went in there, um, and I moved beds and stacked things and I had everything pretty much stacked to the ceiling. And I, I managed to put everything in that 10 by 20 warehouse, uh, storage locker, uh, basically about four feet from the back wall. And then I hung a big curtain down and that was my whole entire, so, uh, you know, what the, the whole rest of the 20 feet minus the four feet was mine. 10, 10 by whatever that was, you know, whatever was left over, um, was mine. So that was actually really, really cool. Um, I, I practiced a lot. I set my drums up in there and I would put the headphones on and I would practice and I could play as loud as I wanted to. And it, I didn't have to worry about, um, bothering any, uh, neighbors or anything like that. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, go get a good practice place and practice real drums. And then once you start gigging and stuff like that, because if you practice pads and stuff like that, and then when you go play for real in a, in a club or at a place, um, it's different. You know, it's just you don't really know how those drums are going to react until you play them, until you hit those heads and those cymbals and things. So, anyway, enough about that. Okay, so the next one, uh, question I had from Tom Baldrika. A good friend of ours, the bands, and uh, he used to work at the record label at RCA, at BNA, and um, I reached out to him and asked him if he had any questions, and he um, said, "Why do drummers play uh, behind plexiglass? What's with the plexiglass?" Um, you know, back in the day, I used to have a plexiglass shield that was like so big; it was like a four by eight sheet that went in a we, it was a real thin piece so it curved and we had a frame that we made special that that this this plexiglass could fit down inside this metal frame and it would like a concave shape and so the reason is I'll answer the question the reason is is because when the way the drums are set up the symbols most of the drum, especially on a riser, you're you're up a little bit higher. So most of the noise that comes from the drum kit goes straight into the vocal mics. What you're pointing, if you look at the way a stage is set up, the vocal mics are pointing straight back at the drums in a lot of cases. Um, so when the singer or guitar player or whatever steps away from the mic, they're not blocking that mic anymore. The mic is wide open and it's picking up cymbals and drums and things like that. So I think a lot of sound guys uh, like to have a little bit of the, you know, and of course, you mic everything, everything on the drum kit is mic'd. So it's coming through the PA. So um, you're just basically blocking a lot of the harsh cymbal sounds and things like that, from especially if you're a hard player like me, you're blocking those sounds from hitting those microphones, because once the singer steps away, it's become basically it's a cymbal mic, right? So that's what that's for. And we went, we changed from having the big giant you know plexiglass room basically you know it's a big giant shield in front of the drums that was a little overkill and uh we cut down to uh just the round so there's a plastics company up here in gallatin tennessee here and uh i had the guy cut round circles uh and i think that's best because they can fit inside of a cymbal bag and with the hole in the center of the plexiglass i can mount it like a cymbal so mounting that plexiglass up and and raising it up in front, literally in front of the cymbals, um, keeps the rest of the kit where you can have some stage volume, uh, and it's not just completely blocked, and uh, keeps just the harsh cymbal sounds out of the. And you can move those things around to where, and what I do is if I'm, you know, you know my my drum either my, myself or my drum tech will adjust those to where we'll look at where the vocal mics are and move those things to where like okay yeah this one's still trying to get into that vocal mic so we'll move the plexiglass the stand it's on a cymbal stand basically move it over and they are just mounted vertically like that and they just block the cymbal sound so that answers that question why the plexiglass Um, okay so another question I had was keeping up without missing a beat how do you keep up the drum beat how do you keep up the song without missing a beat without missing a beat Um, I think it's pretty simple. I think it's just, uh, in your mind, you are, you, you think ahead a little bit and you know where the changes are and you just know not to miss a beat. It's just like, you just have these patterns in your brain and you know, Now I'm not I'm I can't say that I've never, I can't say that I've never missed a beat because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody messes up. Um the trick is is recovering how you come, how you pull out of a mistake and how to make it. Some of the best drummers in the world, like Steve Gadd and uh you know, Vinny Caluta, the best drummers, they make mistakes, but they you you would never know that was a mistake. They somehow manufacture their mistake into a part that sounds cool. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense to you. Um, so, how you cover missing a beat—it's uh, how you come out of it and how you get back on track and make it even something cool to where the band goes, "Oh, whoa, that was cool!" Uh, instead of saying, "Oh, where are we? What was that? You know, what was that all about?" You know, it's how you how you pull it off, how you pull off missing a beat. And um, anyway, um, so I would say just time, experience um practice that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and the patterns in your in your in your mind when you're playing, you're thinking in fours. You're thinking one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And sometimes if there's a four beat and then an extra two beats, then you have to count that in your head. It's just and I think a lot of it is also with the band that you're in, practicing the song with the band and playing that the same every time to where everybody knows where it is. And, and everybody relies on the drummer to not miss the beat, so it's kind of like your job. It's almost like saying, how, how do you drive a car without getting off the road? How do you drive a car down the street without running into the ditch? Well, you know, it's simple. You keep your eyes open and you know right the lane that you're supposed to be in and that kind of thing. Not to say that people have never driven into a ditch, so it's how, like I say again, it's how you recover. Um, so, anyway, I hope that answers that question. Um next question. Uh okay. Natural or taught? Like was I a natural player? Like was I born to play drums or did I actually not know how to play drums and I took lessons and I learned how to play? Um yes and no. And yes. <laughs> yes and no and yes. Um so when I was young, I would listen to drum beats on the radio and I just kind of knew, I just sort of thought that everybody could play that. I mean, it was one of those things, I was just naive. I knew I could play the hi-hat and the kick and the snare and play that beat. And I could hear the bass drum and I could hear the snare drum. I could hear the tom-toms. I could hear when they were hitting the cymbals. I, I could recognize what the drummer was doing in those those beats. And I sort of thought that everybody could. You know, I just thought, well, doesn't everybody know how to do that? And to my not shock, but to my, you know, a surprise as I got a little bit older, I found out that no people, not everybody can do that, but I can do it. That's kind of when that inkling of like, well, maybe I could be a drummer since I sort of know how to do that. Um, And then it just, you know, that epiphany happened when seventh grade, when I was walking by some people playing drums in the, in the cafeteria rehearsing for the talent show. And I was watching that drummer, play and that band rehearse and they were stopping and starting and fixing things and working up a song between themselves, not a band director, but just them. It was like four guys and they were stopping and going, hey, what if you play that part? What if you do this? Let's try it again. That just, that was my epiphany at that very moment. Since that moment, I have not stopped wanting to or enjoying being a drummer because that's what I wanted to do. When I saw that, I was like, saw the drummer, count it off and they played it. And he played the fill, and then they ended the song, and he did the little burnout, and then closed the door. I mean, I was just like, that, that's me. That's exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life." And I never, I never looked back from that moment in seventh grade. I never, I never stopped, and I still get that feeling now when I play. I'm like, I, I count the song off, and I play. It. I enjoy that. I enjoy the simplicity of that. Um, but yes, I was also taught um, when I started playing. I was playing for about maybe two or three years before I started actually taking lessons from a drummer. And then I tell you, man, once I started uh, going to lessons once a week and learning from a better drummer that could show me kind of what I was doing wrong or maybe a technique or something and showing me things to practice on, maybe how to read a little bit of drum music and kind of, we had a couple books that we that we uh, worked with. And if I ever had any questions about how drum beat went or something like that, he would answer them for me. And I thought that was just like gold to me. That was like, oh my God, I have a mentor that I can ask, how does this, how is this drummer doing this thing? And that was amazing. And I literally, when I practiced, after I started taking lessons like that once a week, when my practice became more productive and I was like opening my mind up and I was doing things, I was kind of trying to mimic my teacher If I remember right, I was, I was kind of mimicking, I sort of set my drums up similar to the way he did with the Tom's flatter. And I started playing kind of more like the way he did, holding the sticks the way he did, practicing the things that, and, and every week that he would give me something to work on, I would go learn it and I would master that and come back. And I'll never forget, his name was Sammy, Sammy Wilson. He told me that I was the only student that he, and this was kind of encouraging to me. That I was the only student that he had that when he told, taught me how something to work on, I would go and learn it, come back, and it would be, I would, I would have it down, like completely. I have it down plus, you know, and then some, you know, I would have it down plus I would em- embellish a little bit and make it even better or whatever, you know. Um, he said I was the only student that did that, and that was encouraging to me. I thought, well, okay, maybe, maybe I could be a drummer for a living, Um so, yeah, I, was, I had natural ability and I took lessons. And between the two, uh, having a teacher to sort of cultivate my natural uh, drum patterns and being able to figure things out and sort of funneling my talent into one uh, very um, serious sort of regiment of like, okay, going to practice this. Now, you, you need to work on this right here that really helped me and and i started becoming a much much better drummer like exponentially like in 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 one year of of taking lessons with that drummer i was ready i was about ready to to go play you know for a living um so yeah uh next question um do you ever get nervous at shows do you get nervous at shows um i don't get nervous anymore at live shows when we do like um arena uh, arenas or anything like that but you know i I will say that i did get nervous like back in the day when uh we would do like award shows and things like cma awards and stuff like that when you go on live television uh there's a little bit of nervousness there because you know you got to you got to start at the right time. the The director points at you, and you got to start the song up, and everything is being recorded, and and every eye is on you. So, it's a little bit more nerve wracking, playing live television or playing television shows or whatever. And then, like the CMA Awards, if you ever get to perform on the CMA Awards, that's a really big deal. And here's why. Here's why I tended to get nervous or I think any singer, especially somebody new to the business or whatever, a new act or whatever, would get nervous at a CMA award, performing at a CMA award show because you're up there performing on stage and you look down and your front row, I'm going to describe the front row of the CMA awards to you, okay? You look down there and sitting on the front row is George Strait, Reba McIntyre, Shania Twain, uh, Tim McGraw, (laughs) it's like... And they are just staring up at you like, okay, all right, you know, because they have been there all day and they they're probably hungry and they're ready for this thing to be over. And everybody loves the CMA Awards. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna down the CMA Awards because they're super great, but it is a long day and everybody is just kind of ready to get out of there by the time. And so when you're up there performing, they're kind of like, eh, okay, yeah, let's just get this thing over with. <laughs> and just looking down at that as your front row is a little bit nerve wracking. So I will say that. Um, and if you ever, something ever happens, like you drop a stick, which I have done on live television before, um, what do you do? It just kind of, I was playing in Canyon and we were, do, were playing on Nashville Now with Ralph Emery and we were doing one of our songs and I dropped a stick. And this is live television right i dropped a stick and so what do, what do you do i just played the rest of the song with one stick that's all i could do i couldn't stop the song and reach down and pick up a stick and i didn't have another stick I, what's foolish of me i didn't have another another stick handy that i could grab because i was just kind of cocky and i just thought uh oh, okay well you know i'm not going to drop a stick well i dropped a stick and i remember i just played the rest of the, the song with one stick with my right hand and it was fine you know i was able to do everything i needed but uh, <laughs> it was a little nerve wracking, and uh, yeah, it's, you get nervous doing television. I will say that. But live shows, big crowds, and that kind of thing—not anymore. It's just kind of what we do, and it's fun. You know, it's a it's a fun thing. Um, it's almost like people say, you know, the first day of school, the first day of high school is suit. You're super nervous. Okay, cut to probably the in the spring. You know, when you're. When you've already gone there a whole year, several semesters, and you don't get nervous pulling up to that school anymore. Hopefully you don't. I mean, not like the first day. So that's the way I look at it is like doing big shows. It's not like the first day of school anymore. It's like you just get up there and have fun. Um, Next question. Uh, Has technology helped or hurt? Uh, And I assume you mean drumming or the industry or whatever. Um, And I will say it... I would say yes and no. There, there's things that's helped for sure, and I'll explain what the helped, how it's helped, and then at the end of this answer, I'll explain how it's kind of hurt. Um, technology is is incredible. It's it's grown so much in the music industry. The fact that now everybody can, for just a little bit of money, can have a studio, can have a recording studio in their house or whatever. So, learning how to play. Your, your studio chops, you know, learning how to play and make records and make recordings of yourself and that kind of thing has gotten so much easier. Whereas back in the 70s and the 80s, if you wanted to make even a demo tape, even a demo tape, you had to have money. You had to go into a studio where they had like expensive microphones and a board and an engineer that knew how to plug everything in and run everything. And you had to have a tape machine that you had to buy the tape, the two-inch tape that uh, used to have to use in the studios, even really for a demo, I mean, a good-sounding demo, um, was uh, several hundred dollars, you know, just for the roll of tape, not to mention the rental in the studio and, uh, you know, in the, the, the time that it would take, hopefully that you can get the song down in a couple of hours and be out of there and get it mixed and everything. Anyway, so, yeah, technology has definitely... Um, uh, afforded a lot of people to be able to make albums at home and things like that. Um, a lot, you would think that a lot better material would come out of it. And some has, yes, some has material has come out of home recordings and things like that. But, um, and here's why I think that it has hurt is you hear a lot of young people, uh, comment on YouTube videos from like songs from the seventies, like from Queen, from Boston, from Aerosmith and that kind of thing. Um, and they, one of their questions is, is what what happened to this music? How come this stuff is incredible? What, why is today's music not like that, you know? And I think the reason one of the reasons for that is it, it the reason it tends to be a little bit stale is that we are when we record on Pro Tools, we're on a kind of a grid. We have a click track that we follow and and you and you have to play uh, the rhythm to not always but but in a lot of the songs you hear on pop radio you have to it's either a drum machine that's that's being programmed or a drummer is playing to a click track and he's playing natural drums and he's playing real drums but he's playing to a grid so that when they edit in pro tools they can take like a chorus in the the end towards the end of the song and copy and paste it to the beginning or whatever you know so everything's all consistent now a lot of the songs back in the 70s in uh, 80s that uh, you had a drummer and he laid down he or she laid down the beat and it wasn't perfect it wasn't the most perfect thing it flowed it moved it had life you know it um, it sped up it slowed down it it stopped the drums would just stop for in the and the guitar would play for a little while and the drums would come back in again um, it had expression to it and I think Kim Mitchell explained it to me one time he said I miss playing to with a band that has expression, you know that the beat, the it tempos express it, it speeds up, it slows down. It's like a movement of a symphony. Um, all symphony symphonies don't play to a click track. They they have they speed up and slow down, and they have feel. And I think that is what how it, technology has kind of hurt us a little bit. Is that yes, we can record things at home, but we tend to record things too perfectly, and we don't we don't have that feel of a band in the studio, nervously playing with each other and listening and, and trying and getting this thing down and, and, uh, and playing with feel and expression and stuff like that. So um, that is, I really miss that. And I, I, I think that, I hope that even with the technology that we have of recording at home and the ease of that, you know, anybody can just get a computer with GarageBand on it and record and mix and do make some amazing music and you don't have to have that grid you don't have to have a, a click track or a drum machine or you don't have to quantize everything um there is a place for that and i think in dance music and stuff like that it does have a feel it does have kind of a nice pocket to it um and you get a bass player a real bass player playing along with the drum machine could sound cool too you know and there's a lot of sort of great michael jackson songs and things like that that have huey lewis um Songs and I think that that whole sports album from Huey Lewis was recorded. I believe that most of the drums were the Lindrum, which is an electronic drum, and then they would overdub like toms and some things like that. But uh, some of the best music ever made had like a drum machine or whatever on it. But but then when you listen to some of the comments that people make uh, about the music of today and the music of what it was like back in the seventies and the eighties, there was a lot of feel and expression. And it had life to it, you know, it had drama and it would, you know, parts in things, movements that would, dynamics, things like that. Um, So I think that if we can uh, embrace that technology that we've been given uh, with like Pro Tools and, uh, you know, like um, GarageBand and things like that and, and play with expression and feel and stuff like that, I'm hoping that that will come back and be a thing again because the, the fact is is that we can spend hours and hours and hours and days and weeks in our own studio perfecting a part um and getting it down and i think some people are doing that and uh but another problem is that there's so much music out there another one of the problems with technology there's so much music out there it's almost become disposable because there's so many songs to mull through, but in a good way that, uh, that it uh, the you know the good things always float to the top, right? Um, so hopefully the great music that's being recorded now will be noticed and sort of self-policed in a way that you know they'll get a lot of streams and then it will be famous and that kind of thing. But there's so much music out there. How do you choose? How do you find it? How does there some filter that says, "Hey, give me." find music that sounds like the seven and you know, there may be, there may be some kind of algorithm that says find music. that sounds like the Rolling Stones, uh, and queen mixed together or something, you know, and then, uh, and hopefully find the music that you love. And, um, and you know, if you're a musician or drummer, hopefully you will go in and record, um, on these new technology things and find your voice and find your sound and be original. um, Anyway, so that was some questions that I had. I hope I answered them all, too. And thank you to all the, the folks that sent me the questions and all that. And I hope that um, I answered them all at the best of my knowledge and, and maybe entertained you a little bit, told you a little bit more about my past and my uh, experience in the business and um coming up uh soon on the designated drummer podcast we have some great great people i can't tell you who they are yet because it's a surprise but we've got some really cool people coming up uh in the next few weeks and i hope you'll come back and stay tuned and uh listen to the designated drummer and uh we have to hit the road tonight for four gigs in a row we got to do four shows in the uh michigan ohio and indiana region so it's going to be a great Weekend, but a great long weekend for us. And uh, I hope I get to see you folks out there and come see us play. And um, we'll see you next time on Designated Drummer. Hope everybody has a great week. See ya.